it would become a lot of time for me. Like, I don't know if you've ever done Instagram, but you know, a lot of time, very fast. I had a full-time job. I had the kids. Um, my husband was getting his PhD and I was like, well, I'm either going to change what I'm doing or I'm just going to let it go because I, I just can't keep doing it. But I, I just had this feeling like something was there. I shouldn't let it go. So I, I tried a new communication strategy. I started making educational posts and it totally changed the game. What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and welcome to episode 58 of Be More Well. This week, I'll be catching up with the founder of Kids Eat in Color, Jennifer Anderson. Now, before we jump in, for those of you that may be listening for the first time, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing some of your time with us. I hope you like what you hear. If you've been listening to Be More Well for a long time, thank you again for coming back for more. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whatever platform you're using and feel free to leave a rating and review. That helps the algorithm, so I'd really appreciate that. My daughter is just over eight months old now. It's kind of crazy to think that it was eight months ago that she came into our lives, but somehow at the very same time, it feels like she's been around for eight years. Uh, people always tell expecting parents that kids occupy all of their time, and it is so true. I cannot overstate that. I've been sitting on today's interview for a few weeks now because I just haven't had time to sit down and go through it. We talked about so much, and I really wanted to make sure that the final product was great. I reached out to Jennifer Anderson. You probably know her better as the Instagram account Kids Eat in Color. If you're a parent, then this is a must follow. Seriously. She puts so much great information out there, most of which is stuff that I've never heard or seen before, and it's been super, super helpful. Jennifer is a registered dietitian, and she's decided to dedicate her entire life to helping parents feed their kids. I feel very lucky that she took some time to chat with me, and I think there's some great stuff covered in our conversation. Before we jump into our chat, though, please Please be sure to subscribe to Be More Well on whatever platform you're using right now. That way you'll be notified of all future episodes. And again, I'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review because that helps new people to be introduced to Be More Well. And feel free to find us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am good. I just, uh, ironically, we're going to be talking about eating well and I just crushed a bag of chips because that's the only thing I have time for nowadays with a seven-month-old. So, <laughs> you know Although my husband made beef stew last night. And so as I was running out the door, I was like, so, you know, lucky me. <laughs> it is funny. Like I, I, I put so much focus in trying to make sure my daughter has the right food that for me, it's like, ah, forget it. We'll get back to it at some point. <laughs> I know it's so hard. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you could take some time with me because I'm so fascinated by the work that you're doing. And I actually kind of have a funny story of how I, how I came across your work. And my wife, I have a seven month old daughter. My wife had been sending me some posts that you were sending out as we were starting to get into feeding solid foods to our daughter. I was like, this is really interesting stuff. And then she said, Hey, you should try to interview her before she blows up. And so I was like, all right, well, let me look more into it. And I realized, well, you have one point, whatever million followers on Instagram. I think you were just on good morning America that day or something. And I was like, before she blows up, honey, you are way off. Like this, this woman's already there. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're still, um, I will say we're starting to talk about what, which, which podcasts we're going to like turn down. Um, so you caught me before that up to that point. I was like, you know what, if somebody wants to talk to me, we're good. 
but things are getting a little out of control around here. <laughs> well, I'm glad I made the cut. And I actually love your scheduling process because sometimes uh, trying to book time with people, it's like, okay, well, what days work for you? What times? And you go back and forth a million times. Your people just sent me a calendar and said, here are the open dates. Pick one, put your name in there, and we're good to go. I love it. Alicia, I, I think you talked to Alicia. I think so. Yeah, she put that together. It saved her so much time. It saved everybody else so much time. We'll dive more into your team in a little bit, but uh, I, I just want to say first, I love doing everything with my daughter. Hate feeding her. If I could do anything else with her, I will change diapers all day. I will feed bottles all day. I will do anything. I I just, I hate it. I can't, it's, I can't wrap my head around it. Tell me about that. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear more because I'm sure you're not the only parent who feels like that. And I'd be interested to know, like, what what is it about what is it about it that you hate? Well, I think the first thing is I'm not a total germaphobe, but I hate being sticky and dirty and just watching her. I'm just like, no, nope, don't try to touch me. Get away from me. <laughs> My husband has a thing about sticky hands. Like, ah, I can't take it. But we have to remember, here's the thing. It's uncomfortable for us. But for the kid, it is working with their sensory system to tell them that having sticky hands doesn't, isn't bad. And it's desensitizing their sensory system. So are they spread food all over their face? This is actually exactly what we would want them to do to be able to eat more foods later and be less picky. I know people can't see what you're doing, but I'm watching you on video and just watching you like make the motion of rubbing food on your face gave me the chills. Yeah. I was like, oh, please don't. please don't. Yeah. I try so hard yeah. not to give that image to her because you're right. I don't want to make her feel bad about it. I want her to understand that it's okay. But for me, it's just like, I'm like sweating the entire time. Yeah, that's so, well, it's so stressful. And you know, one thing about kids in color and everything that we've become, it's like, we're so much here for the parent the normal parent, the parent who's like, I hate feeding my kid <laughs> or I hate cooking or my kid is driving me crazy. I just got to get through the day. Like those real, you know, those real challenges that we have, that is the part that we really want to meet parents where they're at and not be like, oh, there's something wrong with you. I can't believe that you hate your kid getting sticky because it's so good for them. Like, right. We're, we're never going to say that. We're always gonna be here being like, oh yeah, it is It is not easy to have a kid and raise them and they got sticky hands. And I mean, once they're walking, oop, they go places with those sticky hands. <laughs> I am uh, not anxious for that day. Uh, the other thing though, when we started feeding solid foods is I guess in my head, and I had, I had no experience with babies leading up to having my own, but in my head, because I see her reaching for our food and I see her itching to get her hands on food, that it was a natural reaction to start eating. Like I would put food in front of her and she would jam it in her face and everything would be fine. It is so not that. It is so the opposite. What's it like? It's, I guess I just thought that swallowing would be a natural reaction. Like I thought that the, the feet, the texture is all, I thought it was all just normal, you know, like an instinct almost like, like mm -hmm. an animal would have. I didn't, I didn't realize how, Babies have to learn to swallow solid foods. They have to learn that the textures of these different foods. We tried uh, mashing up sweet potatoes first because our doctor had suggested sweet potatoes or carrots to start because they've got a sweeter taste to them and it might be an easier transition. And we pureed our own, found a lot of struggle with that. But when we actually bought some sweet potatoes like baby food, that um, texture she liked better. So maybe our puree wasn't quite as 
thin or smooth. Um, mm-hmm. So it was kind of interesting to find that, that she was okay with the smoother version than the one that we had that probably had some lumps in it, you know, here and there, some tiny lumps. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing to find. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. And that's that's what we see. And what we want is we want to bring babies from, you know, Hey, I don't know. And how, your baby's seven months now. What age was she when you started? We started at six because she was born a month early. So the pediatrician okay. suggested waiting until a little bit longer just to make sure she was a little more developed. Yeah, yeah. So so you got six months or five months, you know. Um, what we want to see is we want to see this really quick movement from milk, like this, this straight up liquid that they don't have to do anything with. You just have to swallow it, right? which is complicated enough, but we want to then get them to eating table foods as soon as we can. There's a couple different ways to wean. There's uh, there's the process of starting with straight up table foods, which is called baby led weaning. Um, there are people who start like you did with a really smooth puree, and then they move them to table foods. And there's people who uh, yeah, and that that's really that's really the the two two big options. Or you can kind of do a mixture of table foods and purees, which is what I did, and a lot of people do. Here's the most important thing when you are feeding a baby, and this is something that I feel like it is going to add something to your plate, but it will pay off in dividends on the other end. And that is, don't get stuck with a smooth puree. Right? We're going to use purees. We're going to blow through those as quickly as we can because a smooth puree is fine, but it's smooth. There's no texture to deal with, right? And as you're describing your own discomfort with like sticky and smooth and all these textures, right? We want her to be able to manage the stickiness in order to be able to eat and then also learn she can wipe her hands right afterwards, Mm -hmm. right? So... Um, we don't want her to not eat a sticky food because she couldn't manage that texture. Mm. We don't want her to not, we don't want her to say, I'm not going to eat a, I'm going to eat yogurt because it's smooth and yucky, right? So we want to give her all the tools she needs to be able to eat all the different sorts of table foods that you normally eat um, so that she can get all the nutrients she needs over time. Because what we find is children who start on the very smooth purees and they just stay with the smooth purees. Yeah, they're easy. Or like pouches, they're easy, they're smooth, they're, everything is always exactly the same, right? They're very easy, but they don't desensitize her sensory system, meaning her taste, her touch, smell, the feel, you know, all the, all the senses, the sight. Because in the real world, if you serve broccoli eight different times, you're going to have eight different versions of broccoli that you're looking at. If you, if you have a broccoli jar of broccoli food eight times, it could be exactly the same every time. So we want her to now, now that she's started, keep moving her on, right? It's like, okay, it was fun to eat out of a jar and now I'm going to mash this with a fork. And maybe you're not going to like it at first. But here's another thing that we have to remember with, with kids. It's okay if they don't eat it the first time or the second, or the third, or the fourth, or the fifth, or the sixth, or the seventh, and on, it takes so many exposures for kids. But I would say, I would say, you know, if there's one thing you kind of take away and think, okay, how do I feed my infant? It's really exposure. Exposure to different foods, exposure to different textures, 
but exposure with a trajectory. Like, hey, you're a baby now, but guess what? When you're one, you're going to be a toddler. We're going to get you ready. This is this is your runway to toddlerhood where you're going to be eating. You're going to be eating like, you know, food like we eat. And how can I help you get there through the different experiences that I'm exposing you to? So exposure is a good word. It's actually a lot in there that I'm going to have to go back to some things. But exposure is a good word. Our pediatrician suggested to us that we start with, as I said, sweet potatoes and carrots. And But every time we introduce a new food, we only do that food for a couple of days just to mm-hmm. make sure there's no food sensitivity issues or allergies that may pop up. And I know there's more common allergies like, say, to peanut butter or eggs versus sweet potatoes. Uh but what do you think about that? Because we're talking about exposure here, and you're saying that we should try to make sure yeah. we get as much in there. Is there something to be said about really taking your time just to test out some things? That was a, an older model. Okay. That you, it was thought that you needed to introduce weight three days, introduce another food. What we know now is that unless, unless there's an extenuating circumstance with a child, they can actually be exposed to lots of different foods in succession. Um, and it's not really an issue. Of course, you know, check with your pediatrician, but as far as research goes, there's not any evidence base that has supported that introduce wait three days, introduce wait three days. And like I said, this for children who maybe have a medical, a special medical history or something like that, you want to check with an allergist because that's specifically designed to look for food allergies. But if you think about it, you know, allergies to, you know, all sorts of different foods may not be that common. So we're kind of decreasing their exposure to foods while we wait for these allergies that may or may not show up. Um, And additionally, you know, the earlier we can expose kids to many allergenic foods like, like peanuts, the earlier we can do that, the less it can, in some kids, help reduce their risk of developing the allergy. Now, again, if your child is like, has known allergy risk, you would definitely wanna check with that allergist on that. Um, but if your child is medically healthy, then we actually don't see the justification for kind of serve, wait, serve, wait. Um, you can really kind of expose them to to as many foods as possible. We've been trying to do that, actually. We've broken the rules of our pediatrician. So we've actually been trying to do that. And if, I don't want to say anything about your pediatrician. No, I don't no. know that. Um, so... <laughs> She's great. Uh, we, we, we love her and, and, I, and I respect that opinion, but every pediatrician gives a slightly different answer because we've had a few friends that have also had kids right around the same time that we did. And, you know, they'll tell us one thing and then we tell them, you know, so it's interesting because yeah. there are so many different theories that are floating around or different ideas that are floating around. It's almost hard to know exactly what to do. You know what I mean? Sure. I hear what you're saying. And I think it's also challenging because pediatricians, they don't have a specialty in baby feeding or child feeding or child nutrition. But in general, their specialty is medical conditions in children. And their specialty is not necessarily, you know, are they chewing appropriately? Are they picky? Uh, So we often see that pediatricians aren't able because they're too busy keeping up with the things that they have specialty in they're not able to keep up with the research related to child feeding practices. So the, you know, serve and wait. I mean, that's, we kind of exceeded our knowledge in that area and, and kind, of, kind of left that recommendation behind quite some time ago, potentially even 10 years ago. It depends on how you kind of consider mainstream to be. But I don't blame pediatricians that they're not keeping up with 
all of the research in every sort of realm of child development. Well, it's also tough, too, because every kid grows and does things at their own speed. Like our daughter mm-hmm. at five months was already pulling herself up to stand on, you know, holding the coffee table at five months old. Oh, gosh. Um, Good luck to you. Yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. She's a nightmare. Uh, but, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love her. But we have she's friends. Way possible. Yes, exactly. Uh, but we have a friend whose uh, son was born literally the day before our daughter. And even to this day, he's still, you know, kind of getting used to sitting up and he's about seven months mm-hmm. old. So it, it's interesting. Like we'll look at his feeding habits and go, wow, that kid is crushing scrambled eggs right now. I wish our daughter was able to grab, you know, a piece of avocado or something and stick it in her mouth, but she's standing up. So there's like, we, we've got all these different things that are going on. It's so hard to yeah. predict the perfect plan for every kid. Oh gosh. Yeah. No way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just recently did a post about this on Instagram. They completely blew up the, the mommy world. Um, is this the baby led weaning? It is. It oh, is. Because I want to talk about this too, because my wife was yeah. like, holy crap, we'll she hit the mail. We'll get to it when you have it on your list then. <laughs> no, we can talk about it now. It's great. I, my conversations are always so fluid because my brain works in the most crazy way that, uh, yeah. that I'm fine with this. But that post was something that my wife was like, this is, this is it. Cause my wife was not able to breastfeed. She did not produce mm-hmm. milk. Maybe was born a little bit early, really struggled through that. And the hospital that we were at, they were so militant on breastfeeding mm-hmm. that it, it made her depressed. She was crying. She was having a really mm-hmm. hard time until she realized that, you know what? It's okay. Like it's, it's okay to go with the formula. Like we're okay. Our baby is still getting the nutrients that she needs. Like these, these are okay to move forward because she felt so guilted for not doing the breastfeeding. Yeah. Which I mean, that's not cool when you literally can't make breast milk, Right. (laughs) this message that this is the only way that, that you can give your best to the baby. It's so tricky. And I think you know, and I've been thinking a lot about this because of course there was some pushback and there were some people sure. who were quite mad, who, who maybe even thought I didn't understand the research. I, well, you don't understand the research of baby led weaning. Really, really understanding the research of baby led weaning, <laughs> probably more than most people. And what's interesting is, you know, what we always forget with research, a research study is usually done to answer one question or it's, it's planned to answer a few questions, but you're coming in and you're saying, is my guess here right or wrong? Is my guess here that baby led weaning is better or not? But we can never say that, right? The research studies are not designed to say, is it better or not? The research studies are designed to say, compared to puree feeding alone, are more kids who do baby led weaning picky or are less kids baby led weaning picky? I mean, the interesting thing about this, when we really dig into, into research, is we're not answering questions that the public wants answered, which is, is my baby gonna be picky or not? And how can I make them not picky? Because I don't want a picky kid. That is the answer that parents want. That is the answer that uh, so many companies will tell you. We can help you prevent picky eating. But what do those research studies really show? Those research studies show that puree-fed babies and baby-led weaning babies, and by the way, in these studies, baby-led weaning has a very strict criteria. It's not like a mixture. It's like a very specific thing. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, baby-led weaning. Just just to make sure anybody listening is like on the same page. 
Yes, of course. I should have done this like 10 minutes ago. So baby led weaning is where you start with table foods and that are safely prepared for a child. And they feed themselves table foods from the first bite. They feed themselves in official baby led weaning, like a parent would never spoon feed a child. And so for study purposes, you have to have a very specific criteria for what does baby led weaning mean mm -hmm. and what's your definition and all that. So when you compare baby led weaning babies and puree fed babies, right? There are less picky eaters in the baby led weaning group. Does that mean that baby led weaning prevents all picky eating? No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. Nobody, nobody can ever say that because I get all the moms and dads who are like, I spent all this time and effort on baby led weaning and my baby's still picky. And now I feel like a failure because it must've been something I did. And that's why my child is still picky. There are all kinds of things that cause picky eating. And while baby led weaning can address some of them, you can also address a lot of those things during puree feeding, right? So I did a mixture, puree feeding, speaker foods, whatever. My first kid, actually picky, he eat just about anything. Um, of course, now that he has opinion and he's eight, he makes his own decisions about what he's gonna eat. But, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to do as much with his taste buds. My other child, it's the exact same thing. In fact, he probably had more finger foods. I don't even know, because I didn't have time to puree anything. Um, much more selective, right? But knowing him and knowing all the things going on for him, it makes perfect sense to me as a professional why he would be selective and I could do the exact same weaning for both children and one would be more selective than the other, knowing kind of what's going on behind the scenes. So I think it's important to understand that when people say something like baby led weaning is evidence-based, yeah, it means it's, it's a totally safe method. Baby led weaning has been like accused of causing choking, causing iron deficiency, causing zinc deficiency. There's not a lot of evidence to support that. And that's why people started building the evidence. Like this is a, because initially pediatricians were like, oh, that's just gonna hurt babies. Well, that wasn't right either, right? This method is totally fine. And for some children, it can reduce picky eating. We just don't know which child is gonna be. And then we also have to think about the fact that when studies are done, who is being studied? And many of these studies, not all of them, but they find that people who do baby lay weaning tend to be more well-educated of a higher socioeconomic status, et cetera. So we have to ask ourselves, if those are the people doing baby lead weaning and those are the people therefore who are being studied, not to say no one else has been studied, but in general, if that's kind of the big picture, that's interesting because of course, the people with more money who can buy more kinds of foods, who can do more exposure, sure. who can do all this thing, do all these things, of course their kids are gonna have less eating. Um, so it's just interesting. There's a lot of questions there. What we do know is feeding your baby is the best practice. We know that feeding them a variety of foods and moving them to table foods as fast as your child can. Those are all evidence-based practices. And I think the most important thing is that it, the way that you feed your baby is going to have whether you're letting them put it in your mouth or whether you're offering the spoon and waiting for them to put their fake food, their face forward, these things have a bigger impact on your child's long-term health and well-being 
than exactly the type of weaning that you did at what time with what food. There's just so many complicating factors that are going into it um, that I think we, we just have to remember that every family is gonna be different and every child is gonna be different. And there's plenty of research supporting all sorts of different ways to feed kids. And just to be clear, I kind of went on that uh, breastfeeding rant because your post was kind of like baby led weaning is becoming the new breast breast is best method um, where there's just so much guilting in parenting. People get so up and like I, I actually applaud you for doing what you do, because uh, say in my business, when I, when I post this interview, I can choose to ignore the comments if I want. If someone if someone hates it and they make it, I don't have to read that. But what you're doing is you're working with parents and you're 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 sharing this information. So people, I'm sure, come at you all the time with things that they're like, well, that's not how I was brought. You know, there's always an opinion yeah. in parenting and working with kids. Yeah, it's tricky. You know, but here's the thing. Now that kids eating color has gotten beyond me, and now that kids eating color is is me, it's occupational therapists, it's a psychologist, it's our educational specialist. We I think going at this as a team and like all the people who work on our team, we are, we're all super passionate about what we do. I mean, all in every single person on our team is all in on making this easier for all parents, no matter where you're at, no matter what your capacity is at. So many, so many companies and so many figures out there want to only say, well, the evidence shows that XYZ is best. The problem is they're assuming that people can do the best thing. They have enough money. They have enough time. They have enough energy. They have enough mental health. They have enough support to actually do the best practice things. We come from a different perspective. We come at this from a, what is called in the public health world, a harm reduction method, which is, where are you at? We ask you, where are you at? Where are you at with this? You're hating feeding your kid. They're getting sticky. That is really stressful. I mean, I just know how stressful it is for my husband if he gets sticky. Um, so that is a real daily stressor for you because guess what? Your baby is probably not eating that much yet, but it's going to just, it, feeding is going to be a six times a day thing, you know, within a couple, you know, five or six times a day within a couple months. And you're going to be pulling your hair out. I'm not going to throw at you every single best practice and beat you over the head with evidence and tell you that you're not doing a good job. I'm just saying, okay, where are you at? Well, where you're at today is your, your hands are sticky and that's frustrating. So rather than, you know, let's talk about five years down the road, PE eating, we should really talk about how do you make your, your experience less sticky and less stressful, right? Right. So we want to meet parents where they're at. Like, you're great. You're a great dad. You are totally engaged. I can tell that you want your daughter to be healthy. You want your wife to be healthy. You want your family to be healthy. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, like we're one month into feeding and now I'm already hating it. So really, I think the strategy for you is, you know, you can bring a bucket, a, a little bowl with a little bit of water, a warm water to the table, the nice little washcloth. And just prepare yourself. Okay, there's going to be a mess for this for 20 minutes. And then we have the washcloth right here. And we're going to wipe it all up. And that's going to be okay, right? 
I'll tell you, I, I actually had like a, a mock hazmat suit in my Amazon cart for like a day, just thinking, should I buy this for feeding time? <laughs> right, right. Well, because you know, I hate to break it to you, but it is going to get messy. Oh, I'm sure. It's it throwing uh, suit. It, yeah, it gets real messy. We had a um, tablecloth under the, under the high chair. Mm. That didn't work so well, but we ended up with like this vinyl plastic mat that went under the high chair and it just lived there, you know, for five years, essentially. And every once in a while, I just kind of throw it in the wash and hope it comes out okay. But I mean, those sorts of strategies actually can go a long way in helping you manage. And they also have those like really big, like wearing bibs mm -hmm. that the kids put their, their arms in. Um, that can also help. I, I got to tell you one more story that's embarrassing for me, I feel. Uh, but we've kind of transitioned more into doing more table foods and more mashed up things. And, and, you know, we like cut up a banana into like a stick sort of like a yeah. slice and she can gnaw yeah. on that. doesn't have teeth yet. But when we were still feeding her purees, we tried pears and she seemed to really enjoy pears, but then she realized how much she enjoyed spitting and blowing raspberries with pears in oh, her mouth. And the first time she did it, I was like, I'm out. Like I stood up. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't, if she's going to be, I can't do it. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, we need to find something else stat. <laughs> you know, now that we have COVID, there's those face shields. I Maybe I should get my, um, my wife's a teacher. I'm sure she's got one floating around somewhere that I get out. Yeah. I feel like they're much more accessible <laughs> than they were before. Um, although, you know, once the baby thinks that's, that's funny to like spit on daddy's, you know, face shield. Uh, <laughs> oh, it, it's very, it's very pleasing to her. That's for sure. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that's so hard. <laughs> but we're going to get through it. We're going to power through it. Uh, Jennifer, I have to ask you because you were talking so much about your team. When did Kids in Color start for you? Kids Eat in Color, sorry. Yeah. So Kids Eat in Color started in January, 2017. 17. Um, yeah. So it was four and a half years ago. A couple months before I had thought, you know, I can't be the only person struggling to feed my child making these cute little lunches to send to preschool because my son has almost no appetite, doesn't want to eat. And I, I just thought, I can't be the only one. I'm a professional. Like I'm a dietitian. My kid is just supposed to magically eat, I don't know, kale and whatever else I want him to eat. So somebody's like, oh, why don't you start an Instagram? Probably because she didn't want me to keep sending her pictures <laughs> of, you know, the cute lunches that I was proud of making. And so, uh, so I started an Instagram and I just, you know, a little picture of his lunch and then some, some thoughts, like, here's why I did this. Here's why I put this in. Here's why I did this. Here's how I put this together in such a way that would be helpful for my son. And, you know, people started liking it and following it. And I was engaging with people and, you know, talking to people online. And, um, you know, a year and a half later, it would become a lot of time for me, like, I don't know if you've ever done Instagram, but you know, a lot of time, very fast. And I thought I was, I had a full-time job. I had the kids. Um, my husband was getting his PhD and I was like, well, I'm either going to change what I'm doing or I'm just going to let it go because I, I just can't keep doing it. But I, I just had this feeling like something was there. I shouldn't let it go. So I, I tried a new communication strategy. I started making educational posts and it totally changed the game, totally changed the game. The Kids Eating Color family became bigger by the day, and I had never imagined that I'd be able to support my family doing this instead of my other job. And all of a sudden, you know, I went from like 20,000 followers to 30,000 followers in a matter of weeks. And that was just 
completely mind-blowing to me since it had taken me a year and a half to create a community with 10,000 followers in it. And I thought, maybe this is much bigger than I ever imagined. And of course, you know, within a year, I was, from there, I was, the community had grown to 500,000 followers. And, and I think at that point, I mean, at that point I was trying to leave my job, but once I hit that 30,000, I said, you know what, I need to have a plan because I can't keep doing both of these things. Sure. It's too much. And I couldn't really work on, on kind of quote, starting a business because my husband was finishing his PhD, which is a real oh, yeah. of a project. So he finished that. And then I went right into like, you know, working seven days a week for six months to kind of get kids eating color to create some things that people have been asking me for, for years. Like we want a meal plan from you. And I'm thinking, what am I going to make you a meal plan? Or, you know, we want you to help us with our piggy eaters. I was like, what am I going to do that? And so, you know, I created the better base program and the, the, um, you know, real easy weekdays and those were the things. And like, once I, once I got that and the community was just so supportive, I was able to leave my job. And then, you know, at the end of 2020 and into this year, we've really been able to expand and put together our professional teams, really to be able to help parents where they're at. Mm. So really get out there with a the message that you don't have to be perfect to be doing a really great job with your child. I love your story in that it's an accident, basically. Yeah. You know, it's something that you started totally. doing as an outlet, as, as you joked, as your friend was like, please, for the love of God, stop sending me pictures. Just create your own Instagram account yeah. and I'll like them for you. Go ahead. Uh, it started from that and turned it. I mean, I'm new to the family here, um, but I was amazed to see how many members there are on your team. I mean, four and a half years that's an incredible growth. And it just, I applaud you for that. Cause it's really amazing what you've done. Yeah. Thanks. It's, you know, it's been amazing. And when people, <laughs> I recently had somebody ask me, well, why are you renting a house? We just moved. So we lived in a two bedroom apartment um, for 10 years, but yeah, we just moved about two months ago. And somebody was like, I thought, I thought like influencers were supposed to be doing well. And I was like, you have no idea. And we, you know, we just rented like a simple house. Um, that has a little bit more space, but it's, it's really not fancy. The reality is I am not in this for the money. Kids in color is in here for the impact. Like we are here to help families improve their child's nutrition and maybe even more importantly, reduce stress in the family. That is so important. And so I've hired moms, I've hired students, people who normally wouldn't have jobs, you know, we were able to hire people in 2020 when a lot of people were being laid off. Mm. That to me is a better use of money than, I don't know, buying some sort of quote influencer house. I think that's kind of one of the things that sets Kessie and Color apart is we never were in this to, to just try to, I don't know, like sell people. Like we are here and we are, we have created our products at accessible pricing. Like we just launched affordable flavors our meal plan, because we're like, everybody's losing their job. I mean, we actually planned this before the pandemic started. Um, but then once the pandemic started, we was like, we, we changed around our priorities and said, we have to work on this right now. And so we got together a diverse group of dietitians. How does a family feed their family of four for $500 or less per month? That is the question we wanted to answer with meals that don't taste like cardboard, with flavorful meals that use the spices and the, all that stuff. 
And that's where we really wanted to meet people. So when we see a need as a public health company, we can swoop in with our team and we can meet that need in really novel and interesting ways. I love how you mentioned uh, one of the goals is to reduce stress because I've expressed my disinterest in feeding my daughter. Um, but even for my wife, we're both working parents. We both have jobs that you know keep us busy. I, I work in broadcast. My wife is a teacher, and there are days where you're like, we have to feed her now. Like we we need to we need to find a way to carve that time into our day to plan that yeah. out. And that is an added stress. Like you'd think it'd be a natural thing that parents would be like, yes, it's feeding time. But when you've got a lot going on and, and there are parents that work multiple jobs that still have mm -hmm. to find a way to feed their kids. And, and that is something that I really love about what Kids Eat in Color is all about because you do offer those ideas and offer those options so that it is a lot easier for someone to look at it and go, okay, done. This is what I'm doing. We're gonna make this happen. We are experimenting and piloting more and more all the time with how do we communicate with parents in such a way that we can meet them where you're at. Like you're thinking time to take a, you know, some sort of course on dealing with piggy eating. Time to like take this huge course. I remember when our kid was little, we watched this DVD or something. It was like a streamed DVD like how to get your top, you know, your baby to sleep, right? It was so long. It was an hour. And I feel like we had to watch it over three days because we never had an hour to sit on the couch, both of us at the same time. And um, so, you know, parents are wanting really quick, actionable information, which is what we provide on Instagram and TikTok and all the places. And, you know, we're, we're piloting more and more types of education like that so that parents can really get on the same page. And, you know, honestly, like a lot of dads aren't necessarily interested in being on Instagram and listening to me and my voice talk for <laughs> on and on, you know, um, there's nothing, nothing wrong with me, but let's just be honest. Even my husband's like, yeah, I follow you because I have to. And he would, he would, you know, correct me and say he's totally supportive. And he <laughs> is, so I should clarify that. I'm just making fun right now, but, but even he admits like, yeah, I mean, much rather hang out on YouTube and consume my content there, or I'd much rather watch a video, or I'd much rather have somebody talking to me in a way that I actually want to listen. You know, I think so much of the feeding, feeding world is focused on moms, understandably. A lot of times, like you hear and want to be included in the conversation. And so our focus from the fall and, you know, into next year is really going to be working on some of that. That's awesome because I've actually gotten into discussions with my wife because every once in a while she'll share, you know, a funny meme. And I know her heart is in the right place. It's all to get a laugh, but it'll be a funny meme that kind of pokes at dads. And now that I'm a dad, I kind of feel like I look at it differently. And I'm like, yeah. do you do you not respect me as a dad? Like, are you upset with something that I'm doing as a dad? You know, for the first six months of our daughter's life, I was working from home, doing a live radio show every morning uh, with the baby here, like in my arms sometimes, you know, scraping wow. and, you know, and she was working, she was at school teaching kids. So we were both busy. And I'm just like, sometimes I see those dad memes and I'm like, man, dads really don't get any love. Like, it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd be friends with my husband who was like, nobody gives dads any credit and you know we can there's a big perspective on dads right and yeah there's some dads who've really been like go i'm out like i'm not gonna hold the baby while i do my live show um and i'm not gonna help out around the house but i think there's such a huge cultural shift 
And so many dads want to be a part of it, but nobody has taken the time or put in the energy to actually, I mean, there's plenty of time and energy and research that goes into how to talk to moms, mm-hmm. but that the same resources are not being put into dads. And I don't think that's fair because then moms are like, oh, the dad's never involved. Like, well, nobody ever communicated anything in the way that a dad wanted to be communicated to. Like us moms, we can say, well, I want you to talk to me in this way that I enjoy. And I prefer this sort of Instagram post and this platform or this Pinterest, right? Dads don't have the same power. Like nobody's out there saying, okay, I really want to communicate in the best way possible to dads. No, I want them to sit and listen to a talk that was created by a white lady talking to white lady moms. And I, I'm expected to sit and listen to that for two hours. I mean, I just, I just think that's not fair um, to dads. I think it's not fair and we're really working on that problem. I love that you're doing that. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that in here because I was unaware of that, but I'm excited to see how you put that all together and how that develops uh, over the next few months and the next year. I think that's really exciting for you. Yeah. It is. Uh, so the affordable flavors plan, you did mention that. I did want to bring that up because I think that's such a cool thing. Tell me more about this. So affordable flavors, really, I used to work in, I started out my career at a food bank coordinating their youth nutrition programs. And I saw how families struggled to feed kids and stretch food dollars. It is designed for a family of four to be able to feed their family um, on the average allotment of staff benefits. Um, SNAP is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and on average, people get about $125 a month to buy food for their family. A budget like that for a family of four is tricky. Uh, it, it's, it's really tricky. And so our goal is to really help families feel secure that they're, they have a plan. They can actually make the food stretch the month. And that it's not going to taste like cardboard. So I purposefully did not get involved in creating any of the recipes for that. Um, in the dietitian world, you know, almost 90% of dietitians are, uh, are white. And that does not, that means we are not necessarily creating recipes that are of interest to so many people in the United States. And so we brought together a diverse team of dietitians who could really speak to different taste buds and different flavors and different ways of putting together low cost recipes so that you wouldn't feel poor going into this meal plan. There is nothing, this meal plan is nothing but deliciousness, beautiful recipes, beautiful photography, and a beautiful way to make your life easier. You know, if you're on, if you're on a budget like that, you have to learn how to make some things from scratch. We make that easy. And, um, and also the shopping lists and we call out, you know, some of the, like the WIC benefits. So if you are receiving benefits like that, you can, um, you can have that all marked out for you make it easier. So there's so many things that people, you know, it's easy to say, oh, whoever you are, you should be eating a balanced diet. You right. should be feeding your family balanced foods. And it doesn't matter that you're poor. You have to, you know, I grew up poor and, you know, the amount of flack that people get for having low income, you know, you kind of pull your hair out because nobody's happy with you, no matter what you do. And so we just wanted to take some of that burden off of people who are really trying to feed their family on a tight budget. It's tricky and there's nothing wrong with a tight budget. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. 
um, we just want to make that easier for families. So we got the shopping list and the cost estimates and the, um, you know, the recipes and, and all that stuff. So we're super proud of it. We've given away thousands of copies. We've made it available at a sliding scale. So you get to choose your own price, whether, you know, you want the low cost or whether you're the sort of person who's like, you know what, I want to buy this. And then I also want to buy it for somebody else. So we charge a little bit more if you want to do that. Um, and then organizations, you know, we've given away thousands of copies through organizations and, and people are like, you know what, this would be so helpful for me, but I cannot afford it. You can apply for a free one. We process those right away. And this is 100% accessible to anyone, no matter what their situation is. That's great. I think grocery shopping is taken for granted by so many people. One of the things that I've gotten really interested in over the last couple of years, I live in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was um, introduced to the idea of food deserts. And our city has a lot of food deserts. And if people are listening, don't know what that is. It's basically areas where there really is no convenient or easily accessible grocery store where you can get things like fresh vegetables. You know, the, the most convenient grocery store might be the little corner store on the side of the street that, you know, sells Cheetos. And that's the best thing you can find. And, and there's so many areas in my city, in cities across the country, even in more rural communities that are like that. And there are people that just have a really hard time getting the things that they need for a healthy diet. And when they do finally find one, maybe it's too expensive. So this plan is great because it does break down all of the things that you can afford that are available to you that are, you know, that are, con I don't want to say convenient, but I think you know where I'm getting at. It's, it's doable for people. Yeah, we really, we really went for easily accessible food. We do assume you have, you can get access to a grocery store at least about once a month. Sure. Um, and that can be tricky. And of course, I actually did, um, I went to graduate school in Baltimore and did research in some of the areas of Baltimore that had really low food. Access. Oh, wow. So I've been there. I've been in the corner stores. I've been in the, in the carry out places and seen what's available. And, you know, it's really easy to say, oh, well, people with low incomes, they just never eat healthy food until you, you right. go into the areas where people live. And then you look around and you realize there is no grocery store. I mean, there was like one grocery store in Western Baltimore. And I'm trying to think if I was there, if there was even one in Eastern Baltimore. They're few um, and far between in some places. And most people, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't have transportation. You know, the buses don't necessarily go near their house. It, it's, a, it's a tough situation. And, and Baltimore is not alone in that. A lot of cities have very, no, no, very no. similar situations. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like every city is really. And, um, you know, I've talked about this on Instagram before, but food deserts are increasingly by many different groups being called food apartheid because really so much of it stems back to the um, discriminatory practices of redlining around housing. And they're like, okay, well, here's the red line. We're not gonna put any community amenities in here, including grocery stores. And we're still seeing the effects of that down the line so many years. Um, and now we're in cities, I mean, don't get me on food access. We could talk about that forever. <laughs> it's a whole but different conversation. Yeah. Issues of, um, you know, dollar stores coming in. I was just going to say multiple, that. Multiple dollar stores come in to prevent a grocery store from being able to thrive in a community. They're deliberately trying to keep them out because they know that they can make lots of money if they just kind of take over the market. The problem is they don't carry fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh meats, fresh 
They don't care about fresh food, fresh food that people want access to. You know, people want access to a variety of foods, including a fair variety of fresh foods. And um, that's becoming like a new public health concern is this, this like influx of, of dollar stores who are either trying to kick grocery stores out by bringing several in at the same time. And of course they're huge conglomerates, right? Mm -hmm. So they can afford for a store to take a loss for a while while they're kind of, you know, bleeding the, the local grocery store, which may not be part. So many of the, the local grocery stores in rural areas and urban areas, they're not part of these huge conglomerates. Conglomerate. I think about, uh, was it Eddie's Market in one yeah. part of Baltimore? That's a local, awesome little market in the middle of the city. Um, you know, they're not they're not getting money from Safeway to keep them afloat if things go poorly, you know? This conversation is a totally different topic, but it's funny, as you were saying, I was thinking about the dollar store thing because I read an article not too long ago that essentially said that when you see a dollar store come into a community, it almost signals the end of the community because it kind of takes away so many resources in that one little thing that it ends up hurting people so much more than it does help them. And again, totally different topic, yeah. but, but wow. it was a I fascinating mean, that, article. That is such a powerful quote. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I Jennifer, I, I love talking to you. I'm so glad that you uh, accepted my request uh, for the podcast because I know you, you're so busy and I see you on everything and I see your name popping up on things. This work is amazing. So I hope people uh, follow it, especially for new parents, because I think it's a great thing that I, I personally have learned so much from and uh, things that I'm going to take moving forward for sure uh, with my daughter. But maybe tell people where they can find more about you uh, if they want to find out more information about the meal plan or just to follow what you're doing in general. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, Instagram is the place where you kind of get like up front and center, everything going on with kids eating color. Um, but of course there's the website. If you're having trouble getting your child to eat a specific picky, a specific food, we have so many guides for different foods there, how to help your child eat them. So many articles that are encouraging and um, supportive picky, free picky eater guys. I mean, there's so many resources at kidseatingcolor.com. But, you know, if you're more of like the Pinterest, Facebook, TikTok, uh, you know, Instagram person, we are on all those places. Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color. Thank you so much. This is such a pleasure. I'm so glad we made this happen. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I can't say enough thank yous to Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color for her time. She and her team are just so busy and so active, and I'm very appreciative to get their time. And thank you to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to Be More Well on whatever platform you're on. And until next week, be well.